Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Hi, well, I want to welcome you to week three of Unstoppable. I am Pastor Tim, and we are now into the uh, big reveal, kind of our long-term plans for where we believe God's leading our church over the next decade. We are calling it Unstoppable 2010 as we pursue God's vision really for taking church to people all across New Jersey by becoming one church in four locations all across the state. And that would be by God's power and in spite of us. Um, unless you've had your head in the sand, uh, you know our next stop is New Brunswick. Uh, on January 11th, we're going to be launching those brand new morning services at the Hyatt there to reach a whole new population of people in central Jersey. But here's the deal. Some, something exciting happened in, in New Brunswick this week I need to tell you about. Lean in, lean in. There was a miracle on Church Street. I'm not kidding. Who was there to see this? Was anybody here actually to see this? A few of you? Okay, Larry was. 94 Church Street, that's the address of our brand new Liquid Church offices in New Brunswick. And the word brand new may be actually a little bit of a, a euphemism. Like new, maybe a little bit more accurate. Slightly worn, probably even more so. Crack Den comes to mind. But it was amazing because Pastor Mike was telling me about the looks on some of your faces when you showed up for work week. He was like, Tim, it was so funny. When you guys came to paint and prepare those, those offices for what God's going to do, and you walked in and he goes, he goes, a few people actually said, wow, you, you really don't invest in buildings. Uh, that's amazing. I guess they mean it. And you're right. We don't invest in buildings. We do invest in people. But the miracle was that ordinary people, just average, everyday, biblical Idiots, and some of you are like, I'm first time, like, why are you calling me an idiot? You'll have to go back. C come together with this shared vision that we're going to take church to the people across New Jersey or we're going to die trying. Well, that's when miracles do happen. And this is what I'd call a miracle. Here's what the offices looked like before. That was as of this past Tuesday. And here's what they looked like by Thursday night. Is that unbelievable? Can we hear it for all of the idiotates who poured their blood, their sweat, and your tears Jermala office, just awesome. Um, all told, over four days, we had 160 volunteers serve last week. Uh, and that translates to about 320 uh, man hours invested. And if, and if you do the math on that, that's, in other words, in four and a half days, there was the equivalent of eight work weeks. You got, you got this? So between Tuesday and Thursday, liquid people literally devoted two months worth of work in just four and a half days. You guys are idiotes, right? I asked uh, Pastor Mike and Danielle for any other interesting details. They were like, well, actually, about there, there were 53 gallons of paint uh, that, that went up this past week and about 5,000 pieces of pizza that were eaten <laughs> by volunteers. But it was incredible what was accomplished for so little money. Actually, all of the office furniture was donated, which was phenomenal. That was awesome. But most importantly, thank you. Thank you so much to each of you who invested your time serving strategically to advance our mission of taking church to the people. This, to me, is actually a perfect picture of one of our core practices at Liquid, and that is the practice of strategic service. Can we say that together? Strategic service. And if you're looking for a definition, you want to write this down. You might want to judge this in your notes. Strategic service. Here's what it means. You can write this down. Uh, strategic service, literally defined, means to serve strategically. Okay, thank you. Actually, it's a little more nuanced than that. Here's an easy way to remember it. Strategic service is applying your heart and your hands to the place of greatest demand. In other words, it's asking, where's my passion? That's my heart. 
And where's my muscle? It's my hands. Needed most right now. Just point me in that direction. You unleash me because I understand that strategic service is key to realizing God's vision for our church. And that's why I apply my heart and my hands to the place of greatest demand. So here's one of the secrets behind why we believe God's doing something extraordinary at Liquid. Because our leaders and our volunteers, we understand around here that one of the principles of spiritual growth is intentionality. That is, effective ministry doesn't happen by accident. People don't just magically kind of return to Jesus. And we don't just throw a map on the wall or put a fuzzy target out there and hope we hit it like, go Holy Spirit, just kind of... You aren't going to find a random menu of ministries to pick from here that lack muscle or vision behind them. So get this, growth happens because of God's power alone. Only Jesus can change lives. But we have found that of the growth that God brings, it happens best when together we cultivate a spirit of strategic service and ask the question, what's needed most right now at this moment in the life of our church? Because I'm in. That, that's where I'll serve. I'll apply my heart. Can we all do this? Like a little, little heart symbol there. My heart and my hands to the place of greatest demand. We saw that each night this week with who God brought out because he didn't bring out professional painters. He brought out lawyers like Faith Snyder. <laughs> we had nannies. We had lawyers. We had chemists. We had people who were out of work. We had students like Kirsten Young, couples like Will and Jen Zhao. We had moms uh, who were there like Darith Voorhees and Rebecca Kerstetter who, who painted, painted walls. And, and, and I, I said to Mike, I said, now why would a mom with a couple of kids stay until 1 a.m. scraping paint off some banisters? And he's like, well, that's easy to escape the kids. I was like, <laughs> I like to think bigger than that. I like to think that's because she realizes that's not just preparing an office, but actually being part of this larger vision to prepare a city, to prepare a state where God can plant seeds, because he's going to change lives over the next five years as we take church to the people for one reason, to bring those people where? Back to God. And God's going to change lives in New Brunswick next January. And then he's going to do it in Montclair next, or wherever the next campus is going to be. We actually get the very easy part. <laughs> we take Jesus to the people, but then his spirit changes lives as we sacrifice and serve together in his name. I don't know if, if you're aware of this, but even right now today, catch this. There are people who got up this morning very early so they could serve you strategically today. Everyone put your right hand up. Okay, hand up. Now tap your chest right here. What you got there? What is that thing? Yeah, hear that? That's a name tag. In other words, someone thought it was important enough to get here early today so they could welcome you and greet you by your name so you'd actually feel comfortable, maybe known just a little bit more personal. It's a small thing, but you know what? That wasn't magic. Because those servant leaders on the hospitality team, those guys who smile when, when, when you walk in, they validate your parking ticket and they write your name down. They don't do that just because they get to smell the Sharpies, okay? That's a, that's a side benefit. Rather, they do it because they know they're serving strategically. And that welcoming new guests and just loving on them actually prepares the soil of their hearts for God's word to be planted there. Uh, speaking of which, some of you, if you are new, how, how did you know how to get here this morning? My guess is you probably follow some signs, Yeah. Where you have Joe and, and Dave and, and Robbie and Bob to, to, you know, to thank for that. They're part of the setup team that arrives at the crack of door and just to even make sure new guests know even how to get here. And the list goes on from here. I mean, you may not know this, but the Hyatt doesn't have a nursery. It has a bar, but it doesn't have a changing table. And someone prepares that room every week to make it sure it's clean, it's safe, it's with great care. And here's the deal. If you think those are minor roles or insignificant to building God's kingdom, you are dead wrong. In fact, that's my thesis today. 
that what happens in all of these unseen areas of strategic service every week is even more important than what happens on a visible stage each Sunday. Again, I don't want to belittle any role, but I believe that there are no menial jobs in the mission of leading a generation into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. Rather, our vision to take church to the people, we want to see lives changed, relationships restored, whole families saved by the power of God. It's directly dependent on our willingness to sacrifice and serve strategically in the small things, week in and week out. An army of volunteers giving their heart and their hands to serve in the place of greatest demand. There's a wonderful example of this actually in the early church. Turn with me, would you, to Acts chapter 6. Uh, this is on page 760 in the Bible on your chair. And this entire series, really our vision as a church, this is anchored in the book of Acts. And it tells the story of how God took this ragtag bunch of a dozen or so followers of Jesus, right? Unschooled, ordinary men, the Greek word was idiots. And how God's spirit began living in them. And he actually began leading them to create this incredible organism, not organization, but this organism known as the church, which Acts says started swelling and it kind of crested and it gathered momentum and the waters broken, it crashed onto the shores of Jerusalem in the first century. And from there it spread through Asia, the ends of the earth. It was raw and viral and with God fueling it was what? Unstoppable. No building, no business plan, just Jesus. And I have to say this, I'll just be totally candid with you. To me, there's, there's something like very like romantic about that. I mean, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're like, you're like kind of a pioneer person, you're like, you like startups or something, or being in on the new thing God's doing, it would be very easy to idealize this and say, man, wouldn't it be awesome if a church like that existed today? Like where it's not all like stodgy and institutionalized, but it's like brand new and it's spirit filled and it's alive and it's electric and God's spirit is kind of moving. Woo. All right. I would love that. And it's crazy because you realize like the early church, it's nuts. We looked at this, right? And one day, 3,000 people gave their lives to Christ. It's like, you know, add water, instant mega church. And you know what? It would be very easy to idealize the early church. In fact, when I read these descriptions in Acts, I was just doing it this week, and I was just like, the miracles, the sharing, the generosity, you could easily think, man, wouldn't it be awesome to be part of the perfect church? But reality is this. The early church had problems, just like we do. Big problems, small problems, like we do today. In fact, that's why I love Acts 6 here, because the first five chapters, we all see what happens when like, God moves powerfully in our midst. But here in Acts 6, it's like laughable. Because <laughs> if you've been around churches for any time, you know they really are full of idiots, not always the biblical kind. It's like God's changing us, but not all there yet, still got problems. And even the small stuff can threaten a God-sized beehive. So check this out. Let's read this together. Acts 6, verse 1. It says, In those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So I want you just to stop there. Just catch this. At this moment of, of explosive growth, it's like people are coming to Christ. Families are converting. Lives transforming. All of a sudden, it's like, ah! and it's like, boom. What stops the early church dead in its tracks? People cutting in the cafeteria line. I'm serious. That's literally what this is. See, the early church increased in size, so did its needs. And one great need was the organized distribution of food to the poor. Literally, the most help, obviously, was needed by widows who had no one to care for them. So by default, the church stepped in and said, you know what? We'll take care of it. Because Jesus came to serve. We're going to serve now, too. And all of a sudden, 
this perfect church is beset by a very practical problem. <laughs> because it was focused on, on serving those who weren't here yet, all of a sudden there became two groups of people, the newbies and the insiders, Right? The Hebrew-speaking Christians, these were probably local Jews who converted, and Greek-speaking Christians, probably Jews from other lands who converted at Pentecost. And and the thing is this, the Greek-speaking Christians complained, because they're like, our widows are going to have to go to the back of the line, and and those guys are getting to go to the front, and it probably wasn't intentional, it was probably caused by the language barrier, but whatever the cause, it made the newbies feel like the insiders got preferential treatment. I'm so glad that never happens in church today. I'm glad you're here. Just, uh, the, I'm really glad you're here today. Just, uh, why are you in my parking spot? <laughs> hey, you want me, Kelly and James? They sit in the third row in those two chairs every Sunday. So scooch over some, but don't scooch in my chair. <laughs> right? That's the way it goes. I, you know, it's that whole who moved my cheese mentality. But it's like, here it is right in scripture. <laughs> First century early church, Jesus walked with them in person and he's been gone like a few months and it's like, how come the 9 a.m. service gets free coffee and we at 11 get none? Some of you are like, what? (laughs) Yeah, the early 9 a.m. service is like, yeah! And some of you are just like, I can't even concentrate now on whatever you're going to say because that is unfair. Human nature is as old as time. So in scripture, a simple hospitality issue becomes a spiritual crisis. It's nuts. The church of Jesus Christ, which is at this point, it's only known for its unstoppable vision, sharing its generosity, its unity, is all of a sudden mumbly grumblies. Grumbling and dissension. So what happens? Look at verse 2 here. The church leaders actually swing into action. It says, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to what? To wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And and this is fascinating because the 12 apostles, that's just the leadership team of the early church, okay? They had this crazy kind of workload back in the day. Not only were they responsible for actually proclaiming God's word. Remember, they only had the Old Testament, so they're actually writing the new one. <laughs> and they're keeping the doctrine straight, and they're keeping vision on target. And they're saying, this is who Jesus is. This is who he's not. They also had to care for the needs of the people. And in one day, a 300-person church, boom, 3,000 in one day. And they didn't really have time to draw blueprints for a food court in the temple just yet. But they realized they had one responsibility as point leaders. They're like, okay, what do we do? We alone are the guys who spent face time with Jesus and we were picked by him to faithfully communicate his message. So they said this. They said, okay, guys, here's the deal. We got a problem, but here's the deal. We're not the solution. I know what I'm called to do, preaching and teaching God's word, but we need other leaders to step up to the plate to serve strategically, to raise their hand and say, you know what? I will apply my heart and my hands to the place of greatest demand. In this case, figure out this whole hospitality snafu that's threatening the vision and essentially do the huge spiritually gifted task of waiting on tables. Who wants to raise their hand? Don't you dare think this is insignificant. Like this was the the choosing of, you know, the early church Benigan's host or something. This is not, this was not egotistical leadership. 
What this is, is this is not these guys saying, you know, we're busy teaching the Bible. I, I think you guys know this. I can't really be bothered with that. Can we get somebody to slop the sink? Can we get someone to help with it? Just because I got more important things. Not at all. In fact, if you look at the criteria they lay out, look at verse 3. It says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of, full of what? Full of the spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them. In other words, they said, this is a vital leadership position in advancing the mission of Jesus' church. So we can't just give it to anyone. We've got to find seven A-listers, people who are full of the spirit, who are actually razor-sharp smarts, and we need them to serve strategically and lead boldly in this area of critical need. So catch this. In other words, a seemingly insignificant task. You good? Okay, we got you more set. Was seen as having the highest spiritual significance by the 12 apostles. Why? Because when the vision is as high stakes as taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to new cities, across new countries, to reach new people. There are no insignificant tasks. That's the whole point. Every role is vital to the vision. There's no hierarchy of heroes in Jesus' church. That's why he calls it a body. He's like, each part is unique. It contributes to the whole. And without one, if we don't have a welcoming, hospitable, spirit-filled environment that is fueled by strategic service, guess what? The best preaching don't make a dent if you ain't got this. In other words, one of the things, you guys know this, who are serving, we're always telling our service teams, they were told this this morning before you even walked in here, is that never forget today, the sermon starts in the parking lot. Do you know that? The, the sermon doesn't begin when, when I get up and start telling you about Jesus. New people begin making value judgments about the sincerity of our love way before I even get up here to speak. In fact, check this out. Um, Barna Research actually says that more than 70% of all who visit a church for the first time, they make up their minds about returning within the first seven minutes. Seven minutes, first impressions. You know what that means? Catch this, what this means. Before a note is played, a song is sung, any pastor shakes their hands, newbies who are kicking the tires of the faith are already deciding whether or not they're coming back based on their experience where? In the parking lot, in the lobby, or in the kids' rooms. Think about that. That is very humbling. Because the point is this. The message of Christ may be proclaimed from the stage, but it's practiced first in the parking garage. Seriously. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever been downstairs when a newcomer pulls in and they, they walk into liquid kids and they got their, their kid? This is their firstborn, blood of my blood, flesh of my flesh. And they walk in here and they're like, we're in a hotel, close proximity to the highway. I'm going to hand this over to a stranger. Their eyes, woo, deers in the headlights in New Jersey. And they don't even look at the liquid kids volunteers. They, start, they just look at the security team. They're like, all right, he's pretty big. I, okay, I'm, all right, I'm, I'm counting on you. And when they do that, and then they come upstairs, and they're greeted, and they're called by their first name, and then they're seated, and before I step up saying, they're making calculations, and some of you, even if you're new, new, I get it, I understand what you're thinking right now. You're like, are these people the real deal? Because they claim to be Christians, and and I, I think I know what that means. I've seen it on TV. Man, I hope these guys are different. In other words, before the sermon starts, they're already deciding whether our service is sincere. And you know what? There's a million things that speak loudly 
to anyone visiting our church or just even investigating Christianity. I mean, each week, right? I mean, right now, hold this up. You got one of these on in your hands, one of these on your seat along, along with a pen. Do you ever wonder how the Bible and the pen actually get here? It's yeah, BibleFairy.com. It just comes, it's all, it just comes clicking. Your seat was set today by someone who said, you know what? Today is important for me to come and schlub Tupperware bins of Bibles and pens and mints to set the table, literally, for this sermon. This entire stage from which we minister. I mean, amazing worship. How great was that worship? If you weren't awake, man, I'll wake you up. Woo! But guess what? This stage that actually that happens on, this does not just get lowered from the ceiling each Sunday. In fact, check this out. You might be surprised to know this. This room is entirely empty at 4.45 a.m. when our setup team arrives. And at quarter of five, they begin snaking their way through the kitchen in the bowels of the hotel with 30,000 pounds of concert staging equipment. And they go up two flights of stairs and they go to work like ants. <laughs> and they transform this place because they're the best roadies team in the business. And when they go to work, it's like, get out of the way. Because they work fast, they work furiously, and they're heavily caffeinated. <laughs> Literally, when I get here, it's kind of funny. I just walked in today. It's like, it's like 7.05, and there's Red Bull cans littered all over the backstage. I'm like, right, let's, you know, Holy Spirit. They're like, yeah, this is the afterburn. You know, kind of. And, and can, can we hear it, by the way, for our setup and takedown teams? They do an amazing job. Amazing. You guys are the church. You are the church. And do you see what they're doing? Leave it up there. Do you see what they're doing? They set the table. They arrive at 5 a.m. and set the stage so that God's word can be proclaimed and you can worship and you can connect with God. So people actually feel like, you know what? We were anticipating you coming. And we're going to create an environment where you can actually take a step back to God, whether you've known him for a minute or your entire life, because that's the definition of compassion and love. See, everything we do, guys, in the parking lot, lobby, from the nursery to the stage, is designed to send one message to people. You are so loved. God so what? Loved the world that he gave his son for you. And you matter to him. And you matter to us. And we care about you. And guess what? We are here to serve you in his name. This isn't just about joining a service team, folks. It's about advancing the vision of Jesus' church, serving together in a way that actually when people come, the presence of Christ becomes visible. Look what happens in Acts 6. Would you look at this? In order to keep reaching people, they pick these new leaders to serve strategically, volunteers filled with the Spirit. They said, yeah, I'll give my heart, my hands, a place of greatest demand. Look at verse 5. It says, this proposal pleased the whole group. So this is like kind of like the first board meeting. They're just like, we need help here. They chose Stephen a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And it's like, wait, what do you, what, I don't get this whole like laying hands on thing. In other words, they were commissioning them. They, 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 were, they were trying to say, like, you think it was just painting you did this week? Or you think it's just name tags? Or you think it's just, you know, caring for the babies? No! It's vital to the vision. We're laying hands on you because we're commissioning you. You are on a mission with Jesus. And you're going to need extra strength to do this. And what was the result? This is what's amazing. Look at verse 7. Let's just read it together. Six words. So the word of God, what? Spread. 
And that's kind of weird because you'd assume it would say, and so they ironed out that whole food issue. (laughs) And so they relented and gave the 11 a.m. coffee. (laughs) That's not what scripture says. After this group of leaders steps up to the plate and actually says, yeah, you can count on me. I will make sure the service matches the sermon because I get it. That's how people taste the sincerity of our love and care. What was the result? So the word of God spread. In fact, look at verse 7, the full thing. It says, the number of disciples in Jerusalem, what? Increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, because these guys wiped tables, the city government came to faith. What? The gospel grew in influence virally. See, serving strategically, folks, it's not just a minor hospitality issue. It is vital to the vision. Can we say that together? It is vital to the vision. Because seven people said, said, I get this. It's not about waiting on tables. I get it. I get it. Thank you. I see a need and I am prepared to get in the game because I get that they will know we are Christians by our lectures. No. Love. Every act of strategic service, mark this, is an act of sacrificial love. Only love can explain what Mayor Cortese does every week at Liquid Kids. Most, uh, Mayor is one of our a legion of lion-hearted volunteers who are vital to our vision. And because Mayor serves on Sunday, because right now, while you're here, while we're having it, she's loving on your kids. Right now, guess what? The word of God spreads. But don't listen to me. I will let you tell her in her own words why she invests herself in Liquid Kids. Hi, my name is Mare. I've been serving with Liquid Kids for about a year. I think it was in the fall, so it's coming up to my year anniversary of serving with Liquid Kids. I started with the preschool and have worked my way up to being a mentor with fourth and fifth graders. My highlight moment would probably be the excitement from the kids getting in uh, in the morning saying, hi, Miss Mare, and giving me a hug, and just, what are we going to learn about today? And it's cool to see them excited about God and excited about Jesus, and just restate a simple Bible story that you may know, like, all your life, and they just say it with such excitement, and you're just like, wow, I need to be this excited as much as they are, so... Um, I think that's definitely a highlight moment when they're excited about Jesus. Serving with Liquid Kids is a commitment, but it's it's easy because you just get an email at the beginning of the week. Um, it tells you what kind of curriculum we're doing. You just read it over. The activities are already there for you in the morning, so there's not much prep work during the week at all except for reading what the curriculum is and what the kids are going to be learning about. People may not realize is that while we're downstairs with Liquid Kids, um, the parents get to go upstairs and feel safe about their kids and just be able to leave and worship freely and just uh, be able to grow and be fed spiritually themselves. So not only are the kids, uh, are you serving the kids, you're serving the parents too. I think it's well worth working with Liquid Kids. Like I've said before, the kids just... um, 
they're excited to be there and to see their excitement. And even though you might have to wake up early, which I know I don't like to wake up early, but seeing the kids' faces, they're bright-eyed, they've got a lot of energy, and it just happens. And you work your schedule around it, and it's just a rewarding time um, learning with them, growing with them, and just having a relationship with the kids. We heard from Mayor and all of our volunteers who serve at Liquid Kids. Amazing. You, you guys are literally heart and soul. You are central to the vision of taking church to the next generation. This past week, I was talking with Bobby Parati. He's, our, he's our, our, our staff leader for Liquid Kids here in Morristown. And, uh, and he told me an interesting fact kind of about our, our, our kids' population. It's kind of swelling. And it was interesting the way he put it. I was like, wow, that is, that's memorable. He said, here's the deal, Tim. He said, um, the arrival of new babies at Liquid is outpacing the arrival of new leaders. In other words, there are more babies coming aboard than leaders to love on them. Okay? So, so first time out, let's just celebrate. Hey, great job at procreation, everyone. Good job. Oh, you guys, oh. Here's the deal. We need to reproduce new leaders across the board at Liquid Kids, both here and in New Brunswick. In fact, as we get within shouting distance of 200 kids on, on busy Sundays, we not only need new, volu- we need new, new volunteers to serve strategically, but there are all sorts of ways to do that. Because we make it really easy to serve and set a very low bar. You don't have to be a teacher. You don't have to have professional training. What do you need? You need a what? A heart for kids. And we take care of the rest. We write the lessons. We get the snacks ready. We bring the goldfish. We give you the t-shirt. You show up and Bobby P and Pastor Bill, they got it locked and loaded for you. Because we feel like your role is more important than making copies. Or, or writing curriculum, because your role is to let kids know they matter to God. And we don't do it through lectures. We do it by hands-on love, letting each boy and girl say, you matter to an adult. And I want you to think back, maybe you didn't have that. Maybe growing up for you, no adults poured into your life when you were young and were intentional about having that weekly influence when you were a kid. This is your chance to make a world of difference. Literally, it is the next generation. We need people who aren't even going to interact with the kids. We just need the ones who set up the rooms. <laughs> who set up the screens, the toys, the goldfish. We need people who sit at the registration table and can reassure the new, the new moms when they come in wide-eyed and make the decision to make the handoff. Say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. We've thought of everything. We need small group leaders. We, the, our kids gather in small groups just like the adults do to be a consistent presence in their life because you've got to understand something here, guys. This isn't, if you're sitting here and you're like, oh, here, this is the appeal about like, hey, can you help with the nursery? This is not that. At Liquid, we don't do babysitting. That's not what this is. Do you know what a kid's volunteer does? Our leaders lodge an anchor in the hearts of boys and girls that we pray they will never recover from. They plant seeds that will bloom years later and they may never even see this. I got this incredible email from a mom who who painted this for me. She said, "Uh, thank you for the work you're doing with my kids while we are in church upstairs. I'm mother of little so-and-so and she's two and a half years old. And she loves liquid kids. She's actually napping right now as I write this. And she sets her Jesus papers, as she calls them, on the pillow next to her while she sleeps. We give the kids like handouts, like verses, they're, they're memorizing stuff. She sets her Jesus papers on her pillow as she sleeps. And she has a pile of four going right now. And she wants us to read her one again every day. 
I just want to tell you how thankful we are to have found a church like this since we've moved here. To hear your little girl recite Bible verses with hand motions <laughs> verbatim is incredibly touching. Thank you. By the way, she loves her teacher, Miss Sarah. You need to understand what Miss Sarah is doing is lodging an anchor in that little girl's heart during her most formative years. It is an anchor of Christ's love that we hope she will never let go of and never recover from. And so I got to apologize to you, parents, because I know we're making it hard for you. Sometimes you want to sleep in. And you don't want to come. And the kid's like, no, we got to go. That's what happened. I got an email from a first-time guest. I said, well, how'd your kids like it? Here's what she wrote. This, this is just last week. She said, they loved it. My six-year-old came out chanting, liquid, liquid, fun, fun, fun. And my four-year-old, who's very shy, came out saying, I want to go back there again. Now, that's partly because of the, you know, the Red Bull that we give them when they come in. But <laughs> again, at some point, you're, you're going to want to stay home and your kids are going to be like, I, I know, let's go to church. I want, and I love that. Why? Because they've got a chance. The next generation actually has a chance to grow up within a church environment that is not mind-numbing, boring, or irrelevant, but actually experiences life-giving, full of love, and engaging. How does that happen? How does that happen? Dynamic lectures? No. Because every week, an army of volunteers raises their hand and says, I'm in. Count me in. I'll apply my heart and my hands to the place of greatest demand. I'll do whatever it takes to introduce the next generation to the love of their Heavenly Father. Last week, uh, I asked Bobby, I said, how many new leaders could you use? And he said, if I had 25 new leaders tomorrow, I would know what to do exactly with each person. If I had 25, right off the bat. Here's the deal. We're hoping for more than 25. In fact, with New Brunswick launching in January, we need over 200 new volunteers at both campuses to serve strategically, not just with kids, but with all these other areas that I've even touched on briefly just this morning. In your bulletin is actually a card that looks like this. Can you just pull this out? And again, this is just to give you a sense of kind of how we're looking and inviting people to invest. It says, count me in. And here's the deal, guys. Don't even look at this card yet. Would you hold up your pen first, okay? Hold up your pen. Let's, let's just read the pen together. What's it say? Because faith is a journey, not a guilt trip. If you're at the point where you can't serve, that's okay. Okay, I get it. Some parents, is all you can do to get here and just collapse in your chair with a cup of coffee. And some of you are even just bitter about that. I didn't get coffee. I'm coming at nine. I didn't... We get it. <laughs> but listen, if God's stirring you, if you resonate with our vision to take church to the people, click your pen. I want you, everyone to click their pen. Okay, good. And you take a chance because you won't be locked in for life and you will serve with some of the finest people around. Take a look at this. It actually says, count me in. We're just asking for your name and your email. But it says, maybe I can serve with kids here in Morristown. And maybe you can only do it once a month. Great. Awesome. Huge win. Maybe you're like, I could do that every Sunday in New Brunswick. Great. Maybe you like high schoolers. Awesome. Pastor Bill's kicking off the teen ministry in 2009. Just write that in there. But I also noticed there's a lot of opportunities, even if you, if you aren't into kids. It's totally great. Maybe you want to be involved in production. That's what we call the guys who set up and take down everything. The, the guys back there and the ladies, incredible job on the, the cameras, iMag, laptops, all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're like, um, I, I'm not really into interaction. I just like people. Uh, we would just say, awesome, you have all your teeth. <laughs> uh, join the hospitality team. That's the low bar. You got to have all your teeth. <laughs> and even then, hey, Grace. <laughs> Here's the deal. 
If you take your the risk to click this pen and check one of these boxes today, you need to know something important. You are not locked in for life. Can we say that together? I'm not locked in for life. You're not. You're simply saying, I get it. I will serve strategically at this moment of great need in the life of our church. Like Stephen in the strategic seven. I'll wait on tables so the word of God can spread. By the way, if you look at Acts, you want to spend a little time here this week, just look at the next by the passage. I won't, I won't get into it here. But these guys who waited tables, Stephen oversaw that strategic team. You'll notice he didn't do it forever. In fact, very quickly, he moved through the leadership ranks of the early church because he was filled with God's spirit. And he actually shared the gospel of Christ with the entire city's ruling council. And he had the privilege of becoming the first martyr of the early church. In other words, he wound up playing a historical role, a huge role, but it started with what? Waiting on tables. Because in Jesus' church, there are no insignificant roles. Everyone is vital to the vision. So if you check that box, no, you're not locked in for life. In fact, because we're a grace-driven church, not a, uh, a guilt-inducing one, we take extra care to make sure you don't get burned out. That's why, by the way, we put our services the way they do. Did you know that? It's not just like on convenient times. We put them back to back so you can attend one and serve one. Or you could serve at one and attend one. Some of you were serving at the 9 o'clock and now you're attending. That's awesome. And you can serve once a month. Or you can say, you know what, I'll, I can do it. Uh, I, you know, I can't even serve right now. My life is nuts. The kids are in school, all that stuff. But in January, I see a little daylight in my calendar. So maybe I could serve like the third Sunday. Awesome. Write that down. Seriously. If that's it, okay? And if, you, if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul. It's okay. But the point is this. We want to launch both campuses here in Morristown and in New Brunswick from a position of strength and momentum in the new year. So this is an all-hands-on-deck moment in the life of our church because you remember this. God provides the wave, but our job is to point our boards up and ride the wave of what he's doing. So you fill that thing out, check whatever box you're open to doing, or, or again, write it in if it's something specific. If you want to like, if you're like, I would what about leading life groups? I, I'd love to lead a life group by New Brunswick. Write that in. And you drop that in the offering bucket in just a few minutes as it goes around. Okay, we'll follow up. And here's our promise. We're going to train you. We won't burn you out. And you'll serve with some of the finest people around. And in January, you'll get a new t-shirt. I mean, who could ask for anything more? <laughs> the early church in Acts 6, they got it. They got it. The church isn't a building. It's not about a business plan. It's about people. People who are captured by Jesus' vision for a new kind of family. Not a perfect one, but where everyone rolls up their sleeves to apply what? Their heart and their hands to the place of greatest demand. We serve together, and Christ literally becomes visible among us. So you invest yourself, all right? Drop that card in the offering bucket when it comes around in, in just a minute. Now, there's another way you can invest yourself, too, and I told you about this last week. Um, next Sunday, uh, November 23rd, we're going to be receiving our special 2010 offering at each of our four services. Um, it is the weekend before Thanksgiving, and we thought, what better day, really, to give a sacrificial gift just to, as a way of actually thanking God for all he is doing among us and being like, we know you're going to do this, God, we're on. So one of, the days we, one of the ways we do that is through serving, but another way is through giving. Uh, and I told you last week that our plans for campus expansion in 2009, it's going to require at least $1.2 million above and beyond our current giving le level. But we know, God's behind this, he works powerfully though, when we open our hands together and say, Jesus, I'm on mission with you to reach those who aren't here yet.
Now, here's the deal. I had some awesome conversations this week with some of you. Um, some of you guys, most of you are asking the right question. The right question is not this. Well, how much are you asking? For? I'm not asking you for anything. People started telling me, actually, as they've started praying, what God's talking to them about. Some of you have already started working through that. Maybe you're kind of praying about it and you're, you're talking as families about the gift you're going to give next Sunday. And here's the deal. I just want to share with you just one story, one family here at Liquid. Um, some of you know Jen and Monty and their kids and how God's stirring in their spirit to give next Sunday towards our 2010 vision next week. Hi, I'm Jennifer, and this is my husband, Monty Beck, and we are originally from Texas. We've been in New Jersey for the last almost three years. Um, we heard about Liquid through some friends, and uh, we took the opportunity uh, to come as a family. It was in February. February. When, when we first started coming to Liquid in February, I joined one of the mom's groups on Wednesday morning. Just had the best opportunity to meet a lot of the ladies in the church and um, really enjoyed it. From there, I started serving in the children's ministry and um, we also lead a life group. We've been really excited about attending Liquid. Our kids are really excited every Sunday about the opportunity to, to go to church as well. And it's been a great experience. So when I first heard about the unstoppable uh, vision for Liquid, I was really excited because I, I, I've seen since February, we started you know, attending Liquid in February, um, what's happening you know, within the church and within you know, us as a family and within the friends that we're inviting to church. And it's, it's really awesome to see. So when I, when I heard about the vision, uh, it, I got really excited because I know that there's more in store for us, both as a church, uh, as a family, and for Northern New Jersey as a whole. And I wish I could say that I had the same enthusiasm that Monty did when I first heard about the vision, because truthfully, I was a little bit just selfishly concerned that I wasn't going to get to see Tim preach every Sunday. And, um, and I had to really work through feeling like that was going to be bad for me. And it's been such a great place to come to to realize that it's really not about me. So we've spent a lot of time as a family thinking through this and really looking at our options and praying about this. Obviously, economically, you know, for most everybody, this is not an easy time and not the best time. But what better opportunity or time is it than just to reach out and, and take a step of faith and really let God, you know, work here? I I don't want to stand in the way of what God is doing, uh, and I feel like if, if we didn't participate in this great opportunity and in, in this great vision, then we're going to be standing in front of what God wants to do and what God will do here. So uh, we took that leap of faith, and we're really, really excited about um, what we've done here, and we're really excited about participating uh, in this vision over the next few years. We hear it for the Becks. Good times. Again, just an ordinary family. Who are stepping out of the boat because they want to partner with Jesus to reach more people for Christ. And they believe extraordinary things are going to happen in the new year. So we're asking everyone to consider financially sacrificing. And I want to encourage you, again, not even fixate on the amount for next Sunday, but just pray about it this week. Just ask God, literally, how, how, how would you have me have a sacrifice and give? Um, Colleen and I, I told you about that. We're going to be making our special offering uh, beyond our regular tithe and giving uh, the down payment that we'd been, that we saved for a new truck, because I got this beater thing, blah, blah, blah. And, and you know what? That is a privilege to do. We were like, we can't even think of a better way that we could possibly invest that money, because it'll be a privilege to do that, because of what God's going to do, and we get to be part of this. So I hope you'll join us, and remember, it's not about guilt or duty. It, it's not about money. 
It's accomplishing something bigger together under the direction of God's Spirit that none of us could accomplish alone. So you take this, this, this special envelope and you take that home with you. Make it a matter of prayer, okay? We, we'll use these for the rest of the, the year. But you, you take this out because next week on Sunday, November 23rd, this is your way of saying, you know, count me in. I'm on board. And I'm going to sacrifice to reach new people, new families for Christ all across New Jersey. Our hope is this. We want to have as many unstoppable gifts in hand so that we can launch New Brunswick debt-free in the new year. Because remember, God's vision is unstoppable. We're a debt-free church, but here's the deal. He asks ordinary people to see the need to stand up and say, you know what, count on me. I'll give my what? My, my heart, I'll give my hands to the place of greatest demand. In fact, let's just do that right now. Can we all just stand up together? You can keep your, uh, keep your little count me in thing. Take your envelope. Just hold these two things up. Hold them up. Or put them on your chest. What are we going to do? Let's just kind of pray together. Um, let's say it together. God, we are yours. God, we are yours. Here we go. <laughs> God, we are yours. We give you our heart. We give you our hands. We're here to serve where there's greatest demand. Lord, these are your people. We are here to serve your son Christ alone and make his name famous across their state. Because we believe, God, we believe that you're still changing lives and you're still saving families and you're doing miracles today. And we know there are lost people we've never even met that you're going to reach when we launch in, in, in January. New people will come to faith here in Morristown as new leaders step up. So Lord, just look over your people right now, Father. These hands are yours. We put them out to you. I thank you for each person who's already serving, God. Thank you. So many people have invested their time and their talents to grow your church this far. But we need more. Jesus, you told us the fields are, um, are white for harvest. That's what you said they're like. And we need, we need sacrifice to make this happen. So please, Lord, renew us right now with your vision. Instill in, our, in, in, in us together a commitment to do whatever it takes to lead our generation back to Jesus. Give us courage next week as we give, humility as we serve. We share your heart for those who aren't here yet. And we give our lives for theirs as you gave your life for ours. It's in the name of your awesome, amazing son, Jesus. And all God's people said together, amen.